Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Wow, what a last week it was, Alan. I was undefeated. It was 3-0. and We had the Colts minus three, easy money. Browns plus five, easy money. And we got the Saints minus three, easiest money. So we are riding hot and heavy with Razzie here. We got three more picks for you. We got the Chiefs minus seven against the Dolphins. We got the Chargers plus two and a half against, I believe it's uh, the Falcons. Mm -hmm. There's no way the Chargers can look that bad again. It's going to be a bounce back week. And we got the Cardinals at minus two and a half against the Giants. Everyone's on the Giants jock. I just don't think that they're that good still. So ride with Razzie is hot. Head online to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonus, uh, bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. What's he listening to? Same song over and over. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we got Bow Wow in the house. My man Lil Zane, <laughs> Lil Wayne, Sammy Saint took me. Strike one, caught you by surprise. Strike two, uh, uh, right before your eyes. Bitch, uh, three, this one's to the wall. Oh, Ain't no uh, fun like a so, game of hardball. When I step to the plate, the alpha. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Podcast with your hosts, Alan Styles and Orlando Razzo. If you're listening to us, you know where to find us, anywhere you find good podcasts. While you're there, rate us. If you like us, give us five stars. If you don't like us, don't give us five stars, but at least let us know why. Orlando, how you feeling? How you living, my man? I'm living great. I'm living great. There's a lot of inactivity going on right now, but... Right. We can pass the time because we have an extremely, extremely important guest. Um, he is a former UC Davis Aggie. He is a former Oriole, Mariner, Cardinal, Blue Jay, Angel, but most importantly, the Mets. The New York Mets, they hold close to his heart, and the Mets, lo- the Mets fans love him, by the way. He's also a Team Israel WBC alum, and... Are you considered officially retired, by the way? Yeah, I signed the paperwork and everything. Everything? Okay. officially retired. Ladies and gentlemen, Ty Kelly, retired former baseball player. And actually, he is now a aspiring writer in Los Angeles. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. I uh, And 
while I am officially retired, I do have to play in the Olympics this year. So I still have to be a baseball player one more time, basically. So uh, even though I, I am not going to try and play affiliated ball this year, um, mm -hmm. I'm still going to have to play somewhere for a little bit to not go cold turkey for like two years before playing uh, in the Olympics. But retired besides all that. Have um, you taken any hacks lately? I was, yeah. I was hitting like a few times a week. And honestly, like I felt great. Um, it's it's like almost frustrating when it feels so good that you're like, why, why did I retire? Like I, I am feel better now than I did when I was playing just because I took time off and then like came back and I was like, I can just do whatever I want with my swing because it really doesn't matter that much. I just have to be ready for like eight months from now. So, um, but it was definitely feeling good. I haven't hit in a couple of weeks, but uh, I'm going to have to get back into it and try and figure out what this year is going to look like in terms of like where I'm playing and stuff like that. Well, well, it's funny because of everything that went down or has gone down as far as um, the pandemic and where, where people are able to play the, the, the places to play, they're not as many, right? Just in general, besides what you're able to do because of the pandemic, places have shut down, things have shut down. So what I'm thinking back to is when I finished college ball, I just played in college and I still had the itch. I end up in this semi, I don't know, a semi-pro league where the age was like 20 to, I, I honestly believe it was like 50 or 60. And it was just like a smorgasbord of different players. And I'm imagining like, you know, I, I gassed myself up because I just wanted to to make the team, you know? So I'm like, yeah, I played yeah, D1 ball, yada, yada, yada. So I'm just like thinking if I didn't make it to the bigs and let's say you legitimately didn't have any other options, you just roll up to one of these random leagues. Don't, if they find out your past, fine, but you don't tell them. And they're just like, who in the world is this guy? Like, like that might have to happen. And depending on where you're able to play, you could be in some backyard league playing with guys that didn't play since high school? Well, I basically already did this uh, to connect <laughs> both of the things that you guys have talked about. I played in this uh, this softball league, like a uh, was mod uh, modified fast pitch softball league a couple years ago, just in LA because I was trying to meet like some writers and, and whoever else in like the entertainment industry. Like you said, I am doing some writing. Uh, so yeah, I played in this modified fast pitch softball league and uh, I played short a couple games and like made some good plays, I guess, um, some plays on the run and in the hole. And, um, and I was definitely going through like, Hey, like, did you play college ball? And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I played college ball. Yeah. And, yeah. I dabbled <laughs> club, yeah, team, club team. <laughs> so like a couple, a couple of the people knew who I was from, uh, from Twitter because I, I had had some tweets at the time that were on like baseball Reddit that they followed, I guess. So uh, a couple of them knew who I was, but I definitely was trying to keep it close to the vest right, um, right. in my, my softball league. That's good stuff. Well, uh, well, now that we've got, you know, both of your semi-pro uh, experience out of the way, you went to LMU your freshman year of college and then transferred to UC Davis from LMU. Is that correct? Yeah. And yeah, that was definitely the best decision that, that I could have possibly made. Well, I mean, it worked out for you because from at UC Davis, 
you were on that 2008 team, the only team that ever went to a regional and that team was loaded. Right. And, and you guys were loaded the year before, if I'm not mistaken. Right. What was that was Descalso and, and was Latori on that team as well. Kind of go into that team and how special that was, because it, it holds close to my heart, obviously, as an as an Aggie. Yeah, so so my first year there was 2008. So the year before was Descalso um, and, and all those other guys. Uh, but then, yeah, 2008, I transferred in as a sophomore. We had like uh, Ryan Skoma transfer in with a bunch of fifth year seniors that had been there for a long time. And, and like when you're, you know, 23 and playing college baseball, playing against 18 year olds and, and stuff like it makes a big difference having five years of experience. Um, you're really able to grow. And then we had uh, another third rounder that year, Jake Jeffries, um, which said a lot of things come together. Like our whole pitching staff got drafted basically. Um, it was definitely, it was, I mean, it was a really fun year. Like we opened up at Fresno state that year and they ended up winning the college world series. And we, we split two out of four, like, and we were definitely better than they were in that series like one of the games we lost because um there was it was raining and and was just like super muddy and, and the game got like postponed for uh, for hours while we were like making our comeback and stuff um but yeah it was just like such a fun year everything just came together um at, at the right time and and it was yeah it was just amazing um to even just be a part of it let alone to like actually you know like be in the middle of the order having success yeah during uh during the like when the pandemic i want to say in in march march april may june it felt like every night uh they were showing the fresno state georgia national championship game from from that season uh, so i honestly didn't even connect those dots either so that's that's freaking awesome um so from there 13th round pick of the Orioles. And this is where your career just gets spicy um, because you had, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, 855 minor league games. And I don't know if you know the exact number, but 855 minor league games, 3,063 minor league at bats before you made your debut in, in 2016. What is the hardest thing about playing 155 minor league games and what was the most, if you can think back to it, what was the most memorable specific experience? I saw you just tweeted, you went and saw Bryce Harper watch take BP. So that would be an example, but something that was just wonky because we all know how crazy the minor leagues are. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much uh, to experience, like, as you know, in the minor leagues, um, every day it's it's like something new and something usually pretty terrible and like there's so much to complain about all the time but it is fun it, like it's fun at this point to think back on everything and sort of be like okay I, I made it I can remember all of these experiences fondly now um but yeah definitely like watching Bryce Harper in his first year um and just like the eye black all over his face for no reason um, like it was just like war paint everywhere. Uh, very, I mean, and he was a stud, like he was insanely strong for being like 17 years old or whatever. Um, and Manny Machado was on our team that year. 
and at the all-star game like they were real buddy buddy because everyone knew like how good they were and they were kind of just like essentially holding hands everywhere around the field and it's just like especially in low a stars that big um you know like it's it's really special to be around stuff like that but i i think that like after playing 855 games or whatever i think uh the things that stick out to me most from the minors were uh just like living situations and clubhouse situations and how um how tough it was a lot of the time like my my first full season i i lived on an air mattress in the middle of uh, a living room and then we didn't have any furniture any blinds or anything we we're on the first floor like people just could walk by and, and see that I was like asleep with a sweatshirt over my face to try and block the sun um, and like no internet or TV or anything. And like, that was, that was my first full season. And then the next year I, I stayed with six guys in a three bedroom um, apartment. And it was like, and that was like a luxury having a bed. Um, so like, those are the things that, that I remember those like long bus rides and all of the, all of the tough times through, eight years basically or or seven plus years before I finally got called up and was able to to spend twenty dollars on a meal without uh feeling like I was breaking the bank what was your go-to sleep method on the bus because I was a big uh sleep on the floor guy and like kind of lay out across I'd put the sweatshirt down as a pillow and then I would just lay across the aisle but I think it permanently fucked up my hip because now I got hip issues. I got lower back issues. I don't know if that's just because I'm out of shape or it's just because I slept on a bus on the floor, on the hard floor for the whole time. I actually had like the best neck pillow um, available. Uh, like uh, it's, it was basically a neck brace so that I could sleep um, like any direction my head fell, whether it was like back to the side, to the front, because a lot of times with uh like sleeping i would sleep basically upright like sitting up um in the seat so what your head's gonna like fall forward a lot and with the neck pillows that only go around the back of your neck it can be like it, it's not doing anything if you fall forward so for the first like five years of my career i had that neck pillow um and then i left it at the, in the hotel in nashville um and that was like devastating to me because it like that was the only way I could sleep on on buses and and on planes too um when you like don't have the option of of laying across an aisle or whatever so that I and I like I still really miss that neck pillow to be honest I have one of the ones from the airport that are like decent but not the same it's not the same at all because my head's like it's gonna fall forward and then I end up just like my neck feels terrible and I I just can't do it and it's like yeah it's just it's really tough. It's a special bond too that you guys yeah. probably developed. Throughout. Yeah, because I was the, like the only person that had that neck pillow too. Everyone else had the ones that that just like sit on the back of your neck and are you know is really not doing that much. So it was uh, I definitely had a connection to it, even though everyone would make fun of me for like how gaudy it was, and uh, it was just like it looked exactly like a neck brace, basically. Um, yeah. They're not laughing when you got a good night's rest and they do not. Yeah. Sorry. When I go three for four, because I'm well rested after right. that bus ride from Salisbury, Maryland to Lexington, Kentucky. Like, right. You're going to ask me to borrow it. And I'm going to say no. Oh uh, yeah. I don't no. feel bad at all. Right. 
I wanted to talk about, it's very interesting thinking about your path. And I have friends that, you know, have done, I've been in the minor leagues. I have a couple of friends in the big leagues, but you, you see the drop off and, and all these things and you follow their careers. And we've had people on, you know, uh, talking about how, what it looks like from the front side of things, like they're taking the pictures with the jerseys and we're going to make it. And so many people don't understand the minor leagues. You see that first picture in rookie ball with like your team's logo. And you're like, my friend's going to go to the big leagues. And they have no clue what your friend is about to get into. And when you look at how many games that it took for you to play, I'm wondering if, but you did get to the big leagues. I'm wondering, are there any friends that you have that were on that, maybe not on the same team, but were in that kind of grind with you that, you know, maybe played just as many games or close to it, or maybe even more that never got the call. And how do you, cope with that like how do you move on I, I just feel like you know for me being dra- not being drafted I feel like that's that's one thing because you really can't you can't miss what you, you never had right so I, I never really got a taste but I'm wondering for you know those guys that were similar to your position but never broke through how does that obviously it doesn't feel great but how do they cope I mean I feel like that's something that nobody really talks about when it comes to this this sport in particular because this is the only sport with this type of grind. Yeah, I think there was a guy that I played with a couple of years ago, Zach Bornstein, that put up like really good numbers every year. He would hit like, uh, I don't know, probably between 280 and three, whatever, with like 30 homers, 20, 30 homers every year, like big power numbers. And he just struck out a lot. And mm-hmm. I mean, even though it doesn't matter as much anymore, there's still like, they're still going to look at swing and miss rate um and and like it's always gonna be more difficult once you get to the big leagues because the stuff is so much better but i think that he is someone that did a lot of things really well and like he's i think he's still playing independent ball for the last couple years but um he always seemed so close and like but was putting up these numbers in triple a too um and like just could never quite like get called up because Mm -hmm. there's always like one you know like oh swing and miss too much or not a like great outfielder or whatever. Um, and once you get those stigmas, like it's hard to, it's hard to get past them. Right. Um, and so it's like, and he, like, he wanted to get to the big league so bad. Like, I mean, like re- obviously everyone does, but I think for him, he just always felt like he was just on the precipice of getting called up finally. Um, and it just, it never happened. So I definitely feel like I definitely feel for him um, because I'm sure he would have gotten called up and he definitely would have struck out, but like he would have hit home runs for sure. And like, he would have been fine in the outfield. Um, So I know that it's tough for him. And um, I mean, the dream is definitely still alive and he was on our our world baseball classic team also and and did really well, actually. He was one of our best players. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think it's, really tough and they're like for myself they're like you know all the time I I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get called up once you play that long um you just don't know and and even if you're doing well you still have the doubts in your mind because if it hasn't happened yet then it's like what what is it really going to take so right it's tough um and it really comes down to 
just like an opportunity. Like there are tons of players that, you know, tons of guys worse than Zach that could get called up and, and do fine in the big leagues, um, you know, given the right opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what last question on the minors before we get to uh, your debut or unless Alan has something else, but where was your favorite place to play and, and give us a story about, um, about that favorite place. Um, minors wise, I think I really liked, to play in like when I would come back to Sacramento, um, the, the first place I got to come back to play in, in California was in Fresno, which is like, they're both pretty close to where I grew up in Tracy um, in the Central Valley. So getting to come back and see old friends and let the, like have them watch me play for the first time. It wasn't until uh, what, 2013. So I had been playing for like four, four years already um, without anyone, you know, like being able to watch me play. I was on the East coast for, uh, with the Orioles before that. And then I finally got traded to the Mariners and came back to, to Fresno and Sacramento. And that was really cool, especially like in Sacramento to get to go, uh, to go over to Davis and like show, you know, a friend around Davis and Did you go froggies. Did you guys go froggies? We didn't, we didn't go out in um, Davis, but um, we went to, I think we went to a game one year. They had a day game or I guess they're all day games, but um, they had a, <laughs> no lights, no lights yeah, a day. No. Um, yeah. The finally covered cages now, which is like huge, a huge deal, I guess. Big time. Um, but yeah like getting to go back and and to go watch a game and stuff like that um and just seeing familiar stuff like honestly like the smell of the the trees like in that area just is like so nostalgic um to to get to go to like what is a a pretty cool hotel in sacramento i don't know if they're still staying there if it's all been redone um but like you know the it's like the capital city mall or something like that but uh, i don't know it's it was i always really enjoyed going back to to sacramento and getting to see people and and um play in a familiar setting when you said smell i thought you were gonna say the cow shit um alan i don't know if you've ever been to oh Davis. no yeah no i know yeah oh yeah i mean that's pretty nostalgic as well um <laughs> among but, other things yeah so uh, after you know Eight, in your eighth professional season, it's almost a decade in the minor leagues, May 23rd, 2016. Take us through that, that day when you found out you were getting called up and, and the emotions that you were feeling, who you called, um, and, and how that whole process went down. Yeah, so I'd been playing really well up to that point. Basically, like every, every ball that I hit hard was a base hit, and then a lot of balls that I didn't hit hard were base hits. So, and now, I mean, for the entire first month and a half of the season. So like you imagine that every, every single ball that you hit hard was a base hit, like never lined out, never like no deep flyouts to the wall. It was just like, everything was, was a hit. Um, so everything was going really well. And, uh, and then, so, so then we had a night game the, the day before and I'd gone like over four um and you know like I didn't I wasn't feeling great obviously the season was still going great I was hitting whatever I don't, I don't know if I was still leading the league in, in batting average but like things were obviously still good and so the next day we had a day game and uh, I wasn't in the lineup 
So I was just like getting ready to enjoy my off day, basically um, grabbed a coffee and was like heading down, you know, 10 minutes before the game or whatever. And, uh, and then you know, our manager pulled me aside was uh, Wally Backman was our manager who um, is, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but definitely worth Googling and, and YouTubing uh, to see some ridiculous rants and yeah. uh, throwing bats on the field and stuff like that. Yeah. I know big the names. Yeah. 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 Um, but he was great. So everything is obviously like very dramatic with him. Um, we just like had to make a show of everything. Um, so and his big thing was that if you got called up, he would, he, he would tell you that you had to buy him a bottle of uh, Dewar's, which is uh, whiskey, I think. Um, and so Smart. I didn't know what it was at the time. Like, I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, but he was like, hey, Todd, t- go up and tell the club uh, you owe me a bottle of Dewar's. And I was like, I, I don't know what that is. Like, go, <laughs> go up and tell the clubby you owe me a bottle of Dewar's. And I was like, I, I don't know what that word is. He's like... <laughs> Wait, go up there on your way out tell the club you owe me a bottle of doers congratulations you're meeting the team in washington tomorrow and like and then everyone comes over and congratulates you and um i was i don't know i was like fairly calm about it i guess uh i'm not really sure i mean I, I think you just kind of take everything in stride i was definitely excited but also kind of just like i'll i'll believe it when i get there and see it you know um so couldn't i couldn't even believe it this <laughs> is too good to be true All right I mean, it really is. And like the night before, so like speaking of people that don't, that are really good, that don't always make it. Like we had another guy on our team, uh, TJ Rivera, who did end up making it later that year, but he was in a similar situation that I was in, you know, he was a free agent sign out of college, a small college, and he just raked every year, but he had to get over uh, there's, there's always like one thing that they, they keep you down for. And it was the fact that he swung at every pitch that he saw. He hit 330 every year, but he swung at absolutely everything. Um, so they, the, the night before, TJ got called into the office, to Wally's office. And it was a big kind of like, everyone was like, oh, TJ's going up for sure. And then it ended up being that he was just asking TJ if he wanted a day off the next day. And there was definitely some, like, it was a pretty big throw off on, on Wally's part to like do that to TJ. Uh, Cause it definitely seemed like he was getting called up, but, and, and then like he came to me and, and I got called up and there's, I, I don't know, it was, it just kind of didn't seem real after, after that. Um, so, but then I, I went up and started packing my stuff and uh, I called my parents and maybe like texted uh, one of my friends and, um got the call from the organization they're like you're going to come to dc tomorrow we're not sure if lucas tudo is going to have to go on the dl or not but if he does like you're going to be activated like we think he is so again it's like okay once it happens i'll believe it because it's not like an official thing yet Mm -hmm. um and then i got on a plane and from colorado springs and uh flew to dc and got in that night and to the Ritz Carlton, like, and it's just a completely different experience. Oh yeah. You're not, you're no longer, I mean, from that, I guess once you hit double a, you're kind of out of the air mattress, no blinds stage. Um, that's more of the lower levels of the minors. So you start to stay in a little bit nicer hotels, but yeah, that's when you know, you made it, you, you arrive at the Ritz Carlton. 
it's just yeah your own room and everything and a gigantic flat screen tv and like a, a note that says welcome and like if you need anything uh call somebody yeah it's like it's very it's it's very cool the whole nine yards as they say yeah um that was a a really special team that you joined too it was they were just coming off a world series appearance against the royals um and just honestly kind of a loaded roster when you first arrive like what's are you just trying to be a professional are you picking dudes brains or you seem like a guy that that doesn't talk a whole lot unless you you get comfortable around people so how did you find your footing during that season um you know when when you're you're the new guy but you're also you're compared to these other guys like Conforto and and them, you're you're kind of a, a vet um, so how did you find your footing and kind of find your, your, that balance with that team? Yeah. And it was my first year in the organization too. So like I, I met everyone at spring training and stuff like that, but, um, you don't like really know everyone really well. And also when you've got like David Wright and Cespedes and Estrubo Cabrera and Neil Walker and like all of these guys that are, are vets in the league. And then, um, the younger guys are superstars like Conforto and Noah Syndergaard and DeGrom. Um, and like, and then, yeah, not to mention Bartolo, like the, there are just so many guys on the team that command respect in some way. And you just, like, all you want to do is just fit in, like just do mm-hmm. something to help the team. Um, and yeah, I think basically like, I, I just remember being, not so much starstruck because I knew all of them, but just the whole experience, like walking out into the stadium for the first time and being in the clubhouse with everyone, you just want to like do as little as possible and, and try and just help the team in, in some way to try and gain their respect basically. And then once you've done that, then you can start talking basically. Yeah. Because I don't know what the actual, what, if there are any rules as far as, you know, you can get pulled up for a game and then you're back right down. So it's, that's also another, um, I guess, part of this is, well, I I also have to do well if I want to stay here, right? Like, what am I going to cultivate relationships? And then I'm right back down in AAA anyway, or whatever the case is, just because this is the current situation. So really priority number one is the only way to make friends in multiple ways, make friends with the team and make friends with, you know, the, the major league part of the organization. Let me just take care of work on the field and everything else will fall to play. Like your jokes aren't as funny if you are not getting hits, I would imagine. No. And especially as a young guy, like if you're joking around and not doing well, it definitely doesn't look great. Um, I'm sure Terry Collins took, would take very well to that. Yeah, definitely not. I, I, I definitely would not ever mess with anyone that could be considered old school in any way. Um, people that have been around and, and like just being, I think that the thing that I realized the most just being in major league clubhouses is that it's very much like, obviously everyone is trying to do well for themselves to, to stay there and to make money and contracts and all that kind of stuff. But like, you're very much trying to just do anything positive because the everything is set up like that, like we've got a, a job to do every single day. And in the minors, like, it's like, yeah, we're going to win. We're going to lose. Like, it really doesn't matter that much. But like in the big leagues, it's 
a very different atmosphere between a win and a loss. And like, if you do something positive to help the team win, like you get a lot of respect and it's very, just like, everything feels very like official. And like, all you want to do is just like get a bunt down or, or like move someone over. And it's like, you're expected to do every little thing. And like, that's when, especially when you first get called up, like as many little things as you can do, like it, it's just going to help you in, in every other aspect of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think that honestly, when, when the whole, the whole team is focused on that one goal and just playing the game the right way, that almost elevates your game. Um, when, when everyone is, is sort of on the same page like that a lot, I think a lot of guys in the minor leagues are so focused on their individual performances, their whole fucking dog and pony act that, their individual performance is hindered because they're only thinking about themselves rather than playing the game the right way. Usually team success leads to individual success. So I've always been a big, if you want to give your take on that, that's fine. Well, I, th I think a lot of it is like cultivated from the, either the manager or the organization, um, like what's expected of you and what's, uh, what's like congratulated and appreciated. When, when I got traded to the Cardinals and I was with them in spring training, um, like every little thing, uh, Matheny, who is the manager, would come over and, and like give you a fist bump and tell you, great job. Like you could just, just moving a runner over, it was like a gigantic deal. Like you were getting picked up, like you just hit a home run. So I, and that made the game just a lot easier that all like all I have to do today is like move a runner over, maybe draw a walk and have like a eight pitch at bat or something like that. And I had a great day. Like that's, uh, that's an amazing feeling. And it's like, there's such a weight off your shoulders to not have to worry about results and to not have to worry about going like three for four to, to feel like you had a good day. You can just do, just play good defense, basically like dive for a ball and, and seal a base or something. And, um, and feel great about your day. So I, I think that it really like comes from the top, you know, in a lot of ways. And with the Cardinals, it was their whole Cardinal way thing. So I think that, um, yeah, I just think it like depends what's expected of you. That's yeah, that is a really interesting perspective as I've always thought too. I, I completely agree with that because it is the top down that that's building that culture. Um, 2016 wildcard game, play the Giants. You face the Grim Reaper of the World Series, and you, my friend, actually uh, got a base hit in that game off a of Bumgarner. Um, I believe it. What? What? In it? Was it the sixth inning? Too the eighth. Six, the eighth inning. Wow. So, take us through that at bat, and and how freaking awesome was it to play a, a Major League Baseball playoff game in New York? I remember the old New York Mets days. Shout out Benny Agbayani, Edgardo Alfonso, those guys. And the the old Shea Stadium was awesome. So I guess that's a two-part question. How awesome was it to play there? And, and take us through the at-bat where you get a, hit a linea off of uh, the greatest World Series pitcher of all time. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was so loud there. It was like, it was a very New York night. Like it was cold. The ball wasn't going anywhere um it was the, the, it was packed uh the fans are always loud but the the fact that the the stadium was packed made it like that much more exciting 
um, there's just obviously like there's just a different buzz in the air uh, for a playoff game. Um, and yeah, it just felt like it just felt like a very exciting, like New York evening. I think the fact that uh, you had Bumgarner versus Noah Syndergaard, who was the, still the ace at the time before basically the next year when DeGrom became the ace. Um, but like it was, everything was set up for a, like a very epic game, which it, I mean, it really was. Um, and so, so before the game, I had been told that basically the only way that I was going to pinch hit uh, was if it was either against Will Smith, who I had gotten uh, a triple off of earlier in the year, or off George Contos, um, who I had faced a million times in the minors. Um, so, like that, yeah, basically, like those were the only two guys that I was going to possibly face because it's an expanded roster. So, there's tons of hitters. Um, so, you don't need any of your starters on the roster, uh, starting pitchers. So, um, yeah, so the, the game's going along and, and like, obviously it's just back and forth, uh, pitching like a pitcher's duel and, um, and then yeah, it got late in the game. Um, and I was in doing, uh, you know, just like hitting off the tee and stuff like that. Everyone basically is in the tunnel getting warmed up if they're, they're not in the game. Um, and then I was told by the assistant hitting coach that, uh, I was going to be leading off the eighth inning, um, which was the uh, probably James Loney's spot. Um, James Loney and then uh, the pitcher spot were, were coming up. So there was going to be two pinch hitters in a row uh, because Loney was left-handed and uh, I'm not really sure why he started the game anyway, but that's like a whole other thing in, in like Mets mm. Twitter of people remembering like not starting um, Eric Campbell that game. Um but uh, after that digression, um, <laughs> I was supposed to lead off that inning. And, um, and I had faced Bumgarner earlier in the year. I, I got a start against him in August. Uh, so not that long before. And I got a single and a walk. I was like one for one with a walk. Um, so I'd seen him before. I knew like where his arm slot was and stuff. I knew what his pitches looked like. He's not like he wasn't the Bumgarner of uh, – of first getting called up when he was throwing like 97 from second base. Um, so like I, I had a good idea of who he was as a pitcher. Also like seeing all of these guys on TV for years and then facing them, like you, you know who they are. You got the they're, scouting they're, report. Yeah. Like they're very good, but you, like you've seen all their pitches. You understand what they're trying to do to hitters just on like intuition of, you know, like he's throwing from like, you know, second base right field area. He's going to throw, everything's going to cut. Like, so everything inside just take because it's going to end up at your back foot. So it's like with someone like that, you just kind of have an idea already of how to go about the, that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily do well, but at least you have some kind of game plan. Um, so uh, yeah. So I, and then I ended up, they, they switched the order so that, um, Eric Campbell would lead off the inning and then he ended up striking out. Um, and then I went up and um, pretty much closed my eyes and swung at like a, what, like one, one pitch or something like that. I kind of forget. Um, yeah. One, one. I think I, I fake uh, bunted the first one as I did right-handed all the time. Did you give one of like the little league where you like wiggle the bat a little bit? 
trying yeah. to distract the catcher. Yeah, I like stuck my foot out and stuff yeah. in, in front of Got the plate. Real low. Yeah, I like crouched yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, I did just like a regular, uh, nobody thought that I was bunting, but at least if it's in their mind, you might like be able to hit one past the third baseman or whatever. And ended up that I reached out on, I think it, it was like a change up, which he, I mean, he really doesn't throw change ups that much because like if you're throwing a cutter, like your fastball cuts, and then you have like another slider, like just throw those, you know, cause those come out of the same plane and, and have the same spin basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but he threw me like a change up and I pretty much just stuck my bat out and uh, went through the six hole. So uh, yeah, it was like, it was quite a feeling um, doing that. And then especially like late in the game too. So uh, yeah, that was, that's pretty much the whole experience. And then I got on second, got stranded went back in the dugout. I think, I can't remember if I put turfs on or not because I was out of the game, but it was definitely like when you pinch it and you you do well, like you, you just want to get the turfs on immediately and like just bask in it. Right. You're like, oh, I'm done. Like I did, you know, I did the best I could uh, today, <laughs> like the best possible outcome and and now I'm done. Um, Kick the feet up. The, the pinch hitter life is quite the life, you know, when you're really, especially when you're trying to build uh, a reputation for yourself, but either way, whether it's a day, it could be a day off where, like you said, you were playing well, um, before you got pulled up, you have that day off, but maybe it's, and they're probably like official day offs, but let, let's say you hop in for a pinch hit and you've been rolling and then you don't get a hit in that pinch hit, right? You only got one. And now for some, you're like, now I don't feel so good. And I'd even play today. Conversely, like you said, you get a hit, especially in that situation, but anytime you get a hit, when it's your only at bat, you're like, wow, I'm the man. But if I don't get a hit, this feels awful, like completely awful. You don't have another shot to get back up there. No, yeah, it's it's super tough. Um, and it's weird sometimes too, when, when you pinch it, like if you are in the minors and you're on a hitting streak or something like that, and then you have to pinch hit, like you've got nine games in a row or something like that, you got to pinch hit and like oh, get out. And it's just gosh. like, oh, it's just over. Um, but- <laughs> but it's, it is super tough. Um, like you said, like if you don't get a hit, if you don't, I mean, it really comes down a lot more to like, like the result when you're pinch hitting, unfortunately, it's like, you can line out and it's good for you. It does nothing for the team because like you're, there's really nothing for you to build on for later at bats that game. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's so dependent on results and it can be like I said earlier, like if it's the game's not dependent on results and there are a lot of good things you can do, it's easy. When you get one chance, you get one at bat. And for myself, a lot of times um, it was pinch hitting in like the bottom of the fifth against a, a starter who was dealing and we're down like six, nothing, especially like when I was with the Phillies um, and I'm getting random pinch hits where mm-hmm. the only thing that matters is starting a rally um, it makes it that much tougher because it already is really, really difficult. Um, right. But yeah, and then just also not knowing when your next chance is going to be. Um, right. You get that one at bat and then you don't get a hit. And then three days later, you, like you haven't done anything and, and you've got to try and be confident somehow. It's It's really, really difficult mentally. Yeah, and there's probably some guy, maybe one or two guys on the team that, 
you know, you're watching them go 0 for 4, but you know, they're they're the guys. And meanwhile, you're like, look, I'm putting good wood on it and I'm leaving with 0 for, 0 for ones, but I'm having one better at bat than they're all there for. But so I'm sure that's got to be frustrating as well. And it's also funny to think about what your role is and players that have your role, not to digress too much off of your specific um, career, but look now with the, the possibility of this universal DH, let's think if you were plopped into your situation now with this universal DH, who knows what happens because that's something that you had a knack for and other players have knacks for if this universal dh is here to stay those types of players are it's going to be tougher for them obviously yeah definitely i mean and home runs continue to be more and more highly valued like Mm -hmm. you you want you know if you're going to have that extra hitter you want someone that hits home runs and um you all you just want to put as many home runs in the lineup as possible um, because coming in for one at bat to try and draw a walk or something like that just really doesn't happen anymore. Your pinch hitters are going to be people that can come in and hit one home run in, in a big spot. So, yeah, I think like utility players that um, don't hit for a lot of power are definitely going to get phased out for guys that can still play a lot of positions but are hitting for a lot of power, right. um, which seems like pretty much everyone is becoming that type of player um, just based on teams, not really wanting to pay money for players. They just want to stick as many um, utility guys in as possible as, as long as they're not losing too much hitting wise. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know how much I would even be valued at, at this point if, if my career was, you know, restarting. Yeah. Someone that owns Bumgarner the way you own him. I'm valuing that uh, 10 times out of 10 over a guy that's just a meathead. Yeah. As, as long as he keeps pitching, um, then maybe there's a chance that I can get back in. <laughs> right. Right. That should be in like your Twitter bio or something like batting a thousand off Bumgarner. Yeah. Um, before we get into the, your experience in the world baseball classic, just really quickly, how awesome was it um, just playing behind Noah Syndergaard and DeGrom and just watching those guys and, Bartolo and Matt Matt's was healthy that year too. Right. Um, so, or at least as healthy as he's been in his career. Um, so like, what was it like just playing behind those guys and just like, dude, we just got to score like fucking two runs. We'll be fine. Yeah. I mean the, the pitching staff, like they were, it was such an abundance of wealth. Um, Zach Wheeler was there too, still kind of battling injuries. Um, Matt's was young and healthy Bartolo, Matt Harvey was, um, having a down year, I guess. Um, but like still is all these guys, Syndergaard and DeGrom. And then like Familia was at the height of his like closing abilities. Addison Reed was the best like uh, eighth inning guy in the league. Um, it was, it was crazy how good the the pitching staff was. Um, and yeah, and it just, it, it makes it sort of intimidating to be part of that, but there's a lot less like hard contact um, that you have to worry about when pitchers are that good. So, you know, in some ways it's tough because you want to play really well for them defensively, but at the same time um, they're, you know, like you can play third base and not worry about, um, you know, getting murdered over there by Stanton or something like that. Um, Which, you know, the, the next year I got a random start in Miami 
uh, obviously Stanton was still there and, and Ozuna and Yelich and all those guys. But yeah, playing third base with not as good pitching uh, when Stanton's hitting is, you know, playing basically in left field to try not to die. Good yeah. Dicey. Yeah, that is a risk. I mean, I, I've always thought of that too. Taylor Ward, um, he's with the Angels. Uh, I was pitching against Fresno State my sophomore year and just gave up a laser and just knocked our third baseman right in the chest. I felt so bad. So that, I mean, I know that all too well. Um, 2017, you, so I was looking this up. You were not on the qualifying team. You guys just kicked the shit out of Pakistan, Great Britain and Brazil, take it to the Brits. Um, But that 2017 WBC Israel team was very special. Some of those players, Jerry Weinstein was the manager he follows everyone on Twitter. He's like the Jose Batista of, of managers um, where he just follows everyone alone. Leachman shout out alone. He was with the Mariners, um, Ike Davis, Jason Marquis, Dean Kremer, just obviously you great team. And before the tournament, you guys were just a heavy underdog, absolute heavy underdog. You guys were actually labeled as, quote unquote by ESPN. I don't know if you know this, the Jamaican bobsled team. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware that you, of that comparison. How did that feel to be compared to the Jamaican bobsled team? I feel like that's great company. Well, the, the guy that wrote that article interviewed me uh, that day because I was in the big leagues with the Mets. So we had, there's a million reporters in the clubhouse every day. Um, so he came over to me and asked me if I thought it was a good comparison. Um, before he he was writing it no matter what but he would like he was like oh do you like this and I was like sure like it's fine it, it sounds good you know um, like obviously it's not the same thing like we're pretty much all Americans who have played baseball our whole lives and didn't just um, on a whim decide that we were gonna try to be bobsledders but like it's it's fine you know it sounds yeah. good um, but yeah it was uh, I think that that really helped us um like that's who we were it we were definitely underdogs and like and we knew that we were underdogs you know when Mm -hmm. um when there are no expectations or even expectations of us failing it's going to bring everyone together because we're all um you know players some like some of us had been to the big leagues uh but nothing really recently um you know i had had a few months in the big leagues the year before but besides that, it was a lot of minor league guys and um, people have just been playing a long time or, or like Sam Fold, who was coming off injury, but had played forever. But um, I think it really like motivated us and, and brought us together as a team and, you know, ended up being something that that was turned into a positive for us. Game one, two to one, you beat um, Taiwan 15 to seven. You end up going undefeated in pool play which that in and of itself, given what you guys were projected to do, is such a special experience. Would you say that that to this day is, and I know I, I read some article you were talking about, you know, how much that meant to your grandmother and, and your whole family. Would you say that meant more to you than, and hit close to home to you more than any baseball accomplishment in your life? And how, how special was that experience? I think that like that that experience when 
as it was happening, or at least at the while it was like starting to happen, it was baseball. And then the more success we had and the more uh, popularity we gained and the more fans we had around the world and, and obviously a lot in, in the US that, um, you know, people that knew us, but just like Jewish people around the world and, and just anyone really that, like, that enjoyed the underdog aspect of it all. Um, I think there was really a lot to, to be appreciative um, of like for the, just the whole experience. And it continues to be something that, um, you know, I'm like very deeply connected to. Um, they, they made a documentary about that and, and along with a trip that we made to, some of us made to Israel. So I traveled around a little bit with the documentary and it's just like being welcomed into um, every Jewish community around, uh, definitely around the country and, and even into other countries. Um, it's been really cool and feels really um, important. And um, yeah, I'm just very appreciative of the opportunity to be able to be a part of that and to continue to be a part of, um, you know, things that we're, we still have uh, goals of accomplishing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine representing the U.S. or, I mean, I'm Mexican. I don't, know if they're holding tryouts or anything like that um but it, that would be the the coolest thing especially just because the atmosphere like i don't know if you got if you got a chance to watch i'm sure you do actually just the the latin american countries play the wbc is is pretty much my favorite like worldly um event obviously because of baseball and, and, and all that stuff but um yeah that's it was really really special to to research that and then just kind of go down memory lane and like yeah that was a spe i think canada and mexico got in a brawl um that year too i'm just glad that um that that didn't escalate into foreign policy um but you guys had uh, last question on this you guys had a good luck charm i was reading where it was a he's a mascot and his name was uh mensch I don't know how, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah. Mensch, uh, Mensch on a bench. Mensch on a bench. And uh, talk about how much this mascot was a part of your team. And it, you see all these teams have, you know, the Seahawks have the 12th man and um, you know, the, the angels, I believe in 2002 had the rally monkey. You guys had Mensch. How did that become a thing? And, and how, did that pretty much become a real like national spotlight on, on Mensch? And do you guys yeah. still keep in touch? You and Mensch? Yeah, I, we do a monthly call and um, just to, like a check-in. Um, he's doing well. He's still just kind of hanging out on a bench. Yeah. Um, and uh, which, you know, I know the feeling from my playing days, mm. but um, it was, uh, it was crazy how popular he got uh, from that. And also like, it's never been more topical with all of the the memes or whatever of Elf on a Shelf and everyone um, coming up with different rhymes um, on social media right now for like Elf on a Shelf. Uh, yeah, Mench on a Bench was exactly that. It was uh, created to be the, the Jewish version of uh, Elf on a Shelf. So uh, yeah, and then we uh, Cody Decker got a life-size version of one and brought him around. 
Um, he had to fly all the way to uh, Korea with that thing. And, um, and it became like worldwide news that we had this uh, mascot and people were just like doing interviews with uh, someone named the mascot constantly. And I'm um, pretty sure he was like in our team photo. Um, it was, it was like really cool because um, yeah, I don't know. It was just like a fun thing to, to have around and everybody really appreciated it. So it was, uh, yeah, it was like, it was cool. And he's a cool guy. I think he got like some recognition from the foreign minister of, uh, of Israel. So just to, to go from that, that's, that's awesome. Um, so after the, the WBC, uh, you, you play up until 2019, um, August 25th to be exact, 2019. Everyone has their retirement story. You retired, uh, you know, when you think of big retirements, you, you're thinking Brett Favre, you're thinking Kobe, you're thinking Mariano, you're thinking Luck, and you're thinking Ty Kelly. Take us through that day. Was it a sudden decision or were you just like, bro, I have just had it up to here with the bullshit. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. Or was it kind of a more impulsive decision? How to take us through that day and how you decided to just hang them up? Well, I mean, I was pretty sure during the most of the year that I was going to retire at the end of the season. Um, so it was just a matter of, I, I had talked to uh, the general manager of uh, Israel baseball again um and guys were getting citizenship in israel so that they could play in the olympic qualifiers um and that was never something that i could do because i was going to keep playing affiliated uh, baseball and it was all during the summer um so i, I wasn't going to be able to do it um, and i didn't have citizenship or anything so uh i basically like as the year went on i, I got more and more confident that it was definitely going to be my my last year um, I felt like I had done everything that I could accomplish. Um, and like, obviously it's like we talked about earlier, like veteran utility guy just doesn't matter as much anymore. So, uh, you know, like I could definitely keep playing and, and maybe like find a last spot on a roster, you know, at some points during a season, but also there's a possibility that, uh, I just, you know, am stuck in the minors and like, doing you know it's very lateral at this point um it's nice to make money of course but uh you know but like being on early plane flights and stuff every single like or every like four days or whatever uh being on random flights to to random cities around the country and sleeping in you know below average hotels and or not sleeping uh when you've got to get up at like three in the morning to get on a flight um so like that lifestyle i was pretty much good on so uh, I, but then I, I got the, like, I, I talked to uh, Peter Kurtz, the general manager, and he like invited me again to, to try and get citizenship and, and play in the third and fourth qualifiers since they had already won the first two um, in Bulgaria and Lithuania that summer. And so I was like, yeah, like, let's just do it. I mean, this seems like a really good opportunity um, and so I, I had to leave the season, uh, a week early. Um, I basically didn't play for like the, like a week or a week and a half before that, because they knew I was retiring already. Um, so there's really like no reason to 
play me at all. Um, and then the very last day I did play. So I was like, okay, well now I haven't played in a week and a half and I got to have this like final, you know, this final hurrah and try and do well. Uh, well, I now haven't played for a week and a half, but, um, but it was like a really cool experience. Uh, everyone, we had a, like a very young team as the angels and everything's very young and new wave and uh, all of the new analytics and everything they're completely bought in on. So the very young AAA team, everyone gave me tons of respect. Uh, everyone was like cheering very hard for me to, to do well in my last game because I had been playing for a long time and um, you get a certain amount of respect when, especially when you've been in the minors for like 10 years. Uh, so it was, it was a really cool experience. And then um, the catcher for the other team was the guy I played with in the Orioles organization, Caleb Joseph. And by like my third at bat, he was like, Hey, just all fastballs the rest of the game. Um, and wow. I was like, well, like, this is way, I don't want, I don't want to do this because Farewell, I like, yeah, like now, now I'm just going to swing at everything. And I know a fastball is coming. It's like, it doesn't matter where it is. I'm just auto swing now. Like this is, I didn't, I haven't done this for the last 11 years, you know? I'm used to like, like kick. Yeah. And so like, it didn't work. Obviously I got a fastball down the middle and just like popped it up. Um, but then my, my fourth at bat, I came up with bases loaded and one out um, against a dude throwing a hundred. Uh, I forget what his name is. It's like, it's a, it's not magnificent, but it's something like that. Um, it's, it's some, it's a word like that. Uh, gosh, I forget what it is. Uh, but yeah, he throws like a hundred um, and I, I hit like a line drive right down the first baseline. And of course, I think Kevin Crone was playing first and, uh, and it was just like right to him. And so I didn't get a RBI or, or like it was, it could have easily been a basis clearing triple for my last at bat. It was like all set up. Um, and of course, like nothing is, but like at the end of the day, I was like, if there's anything that sums up baseball, it's coming up with the bases loaded uh and one out and just like hitting a hundred mile an hour liner that that you get nothing on Is it, um, so, was, was it this guy damien magnifico yeah magnifico yeah mm -hmm. that is such an excellent name yeah yeah and he throws gas and uh yeah it's like it's very it was very perfect he was i'm pretty sure i faced him uh the first time when he was with the brewers and they had him and knievel uh in triple a and and a bunch of guys that threw like a hundred um but yeah that's that's my my last at bat and then uh and then the game was over and uh I, yeah i just packed up all my stuff and got ready to go out to israel to get citizenship that's every that's what everyone does after they retire so right. i say so. <laughs> um post playing career right you uh alan you're the foodie. You have this huge backing. We all know Stephen Cohen is a huge listener to the show. So, Alan, take it away with uh, with with the food stuff because no, we're I'm, just, I'm here for it. No, yeah, I just want to break down. First of all, let's let's start here, Ty. What are your and we touched on it beginning with the food truck, but just give us a, a lay of the land of what your food aspirations are. Yeah, so the the food truck um, at City Field, Sweet Potato Ties, um, is the name of it, and it's basically 
like it's not just a food um, experience. It's mm. a whole baseball fan experience. Um, the idea is that, you know, either I'll be there like working the window, interacting with fans, whatever it is, talking about the game. Um, or there will be a former player that's there. That's kind of, you know, that's like helping out, uh, doing some autographs, talking, talking baseball, like whatever it is. Um, so that whole, like just bringing fans closer to um to their you know favorite former players uh that want to come out and help and um and then of course uh you know sweet potatoes and sweet potato fries different ways you got um sweet savory uh spicy i'm I'm really into um to spicy food uh so like the way that i do it at home is like a little like um salt garlic powder cayenne chili powder uh, just like a lot of spicy stuff and then you can do different sauces uh barbecue sauce mixed with sriracha is one of my favorites huh um yeah big fan of mixing sauces so you could do like a like barbecue sriracha or maybe like a, a ketchup and cholula or something like that depending on if you want to go um you know asian spicy or or right. mexican spicy um so yeah like that's a, and then of course you've got like the dessert sweet potatoes uh, a lot of people do like cinnamon, brown sugar, and um, some kind of butter. Um, and then you've got like dessert essentially right there. So you, they, you, you're right. You need, and yeah, it's sweet potato ties. You know, I, I know some people that might be able to hook you up with um, sweet potato pie as well. You know, I, I think it's, it's always been very interesting, uh, the different cultures, because I feel like it's like you either eat pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie, right? I, and a lot of people haven't had both. I've been... Um, lucky enough to have both do you have a favorite chef um well i used to i I guess if if i'm being honest my favorite chef is probably guy fietti just because let's go let's go he's like he's easy to make fun of but right so he's super entertaining always he's always in a good mood Mm -hmm. uh like i don't know i don't know really like he's kind of dorky i guess but at the same time just seems nice uh and just like always so energetic and that's cool to have someone that's fired up about food um all the time and about like you know the i think that like diners drive-ins and dives is cool because it's a lot of uh businesses that would never get seen without Mm -hmm. a a show like that so it's cool and i always really like anthony bourdain too as far as going to see different cultures and um getting to know uh, things that you would never see without shows like that do you have a chef yeah you have a chef in mind for sweet potato ties like do you have one picked out is it going to be you are you going to be like the the main guy? What, well, he's got to be talking to the fans. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, there's a lot of you know thing moving parts here. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I don't think I would do much of the cooking. I would definitely be a big part of designing the menu um, because I I think I uh, I don't know. I just like sweet potatoes and uh, would want to make things that I would want to eat. Um, but they, I've actually had offers from people that. Uh, that like saw the tweets and wanted to be a chef for it. Um, obviously we're not quite there in the process, but um, yeah, I appreciate anyone that, that is wanting to, to help out. So I'm definitely like, if guy is, is listening to this, I would love, um, you know, like another Northern California guy, um, like let's do it. And, and he just took a picture with, uh, or posted a picture the other day with Steve Cohen. 
um, in like a Mets jersey. So like it's there, you know, the connection's I mean, it, there. The writing is on the wall right now. It's all, we can make it happen. You know, we got to tag him, mm-hmm. tell him what's going on. Um, he's retweeted less interesting things. I can tell you that right now. Cause I follow him on Twitter. So we should be able to get into his, uh, into his, you know, stratosphere some type of way. The sweet potato thing, I actually wasn't big on it because, you know, out here at first, because out here, that's kind of, that's really, and really same with New York, the trendy places, you get a burger and sweet potato fries. I'm like, I don't know. I just kind of want my normal fries. Went on a paleo kick a couple years ago now, and, and normal potatoes obviously aren't paleo, but I believe sweet potatoes are. So got on that kick, and now I'm all about the sweet potatoes. You, it has to be done right, like you said, but when it's done right, you know, it's sweet, it's salty, it's savory, uh, it's good stuff. So I might be taking a trip out there. And I, I felt, you know, like I didn't know enough about New York because my first time visiting in a very long time was last year. And I'm asking my buddy, we were staying down, you know, where we're really in the heart of it all. Um, but I'm asking my buddy, I'm like, well, where do the, the Yankees play? Ah, oh, that's kind of far. And I'm like, well, where do the Mets play? Oh, it's not that far, but it's not close either. So I have to go back to New York and get that experience. And hopefully when I do, I'll be having some sweet potato ties. There's no question. And, and when you do, just let me know. We'll have uh, a, a little bit of everything set mm-hmm. out for you. There um, we go. You're going to um, roll out the red carpet for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe oh we do. Oh my god, that we is just do awesome. a podcast uh, right there on the spot. I mean, you you never know. No towels, baby. On. That's good uh, stuff. Absolutely, that's a freaking awesome trade off. And mm-hmm. guy will be there. He seems like someone that just really wants to be involved in a lot of things. So <laughs> I, I think this is just one more one more thing that he can um, you know that he can attach himself to and 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 uh, make successful. That's what I'm saying. He's a big fan of the long ball pod too. So yeah, we'll get guy involved. We'll get everyone involved. It'll, Mm -hmm. it'll be, it'll all come full circle. It'll come together. I'm sure it will. Um, We'll wrap up right now. You're in Los Angeles. You are doing some writing, go into your aspirations. What are you looking to do? I know you're playing in the Olympics. You said, uh, which is freaking awesome. Um, But what are you looking to do out in LA now that you're with the A-list Hollywood brigade? I would really just like to write stuff that gets made. Uh, I, you know, like I, I would love to write for TV comedy and stuff like that. Um, I would like to write a book uh, like about my playing career. Um, so you should really get on that at some point. But yeah, I think the thing like with, uh, with my roommate, Matt and I, is we're, we're trying to do a lot of stuff. Like how can we, start out with baseball as like, it's our thing. So let's write some things that are um, baseball focused and, and kind of go from there and, and then um, branch out once we've established that we um, are able to, to write and stuff like that. So uh, definitely just trying to figure out different ways to make baseball interesting. Like what are the different stories to tell in baseball um obviously there's a million stories uh just like from the minor leagues there there are so many stories um but what's the the best way to tell those stories and how funny slash how dramatic uh like what's the the right tone and um like you can go 
Kenny Powers or or you can go major league or or something dramatic. Uh the summer catch. Yeah, you can go super cheesy and not really well, make make a lot yeah. of sense. Um <laughs> like you can just sign a contract uh on the tarmac uh before mm-hmm. someone gets on a plane and you can just like drive up if you want to and the scout will drive up and uh, just fiction. Yeah, and then you're just like, hey, how's thirty thousand dollars? Sure. And um, yeah, there's like, there's so many different stories to tell. Uh, so yeah, trying to figure out some of those, see what works and, and then kind of take it from there. I'll, I'll give you an idea right now. Okay. And I'm no writer, but we're, we're, we, we talk about the, the popularity of baseball with the young kids and things like that. And when you look at what we've seen from a sports aspect or a sports movie aspect, you got your gritty basketball movies, right? There's plenty of those. Coach Carter, we got plenty of those. You, There are gritty baseball movies, but, and obviously there's a ton of football ones. When it comes to baseball, I've never seen like a serious, gritty, like high school baseball movie. I haven't seen one. I don't know that it exists. The high school movies that I've seen are like, like you said, Summer Catch, things like that, or they're not in high school. So just something to think about. Just something to play with. Something to play with. The Rookie? Is that a high school baseball movie? No, I mean, yeah, there are high school players there, but it's not about <laughs> them. But, you know, you're totally right. Like, there, there's not a lot of actual, like, gritty baseball movies. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, the problem. That's the, like, do you want to tell a minor league story where uh, right. it's just, it's more Kenny Powers? Like, or do you want to actually be like, hey, there are some problems here. Like, yes, we should probably... Yes let's talk about some of these will also be funny, but let's um, not pretend like spending, you know, 14 hours on a bus is like all fun and games. Like it sucks. Uh, there might be like an hour where, you know, where you're having fun or something like that. But for the most part, like it's not super fun and, and everything, right. everything is always very romanticized and, and nostalgic feeling. And uh, like, there are no issues with minor league baseball because it's so fun because we're, uh, you know, we're so close to the majors, like, for the most part, that's not the experience. Right? Well, I found it's it's really fun to complain. Like, that's one, that was one of the most fun parts about the minors is talking about like how shitty it was with my teammates. But uh, as far as two of the characters go, this is, we'll wrap up here soon. One of them could be like me, where they just have chronic hip issues from sleeping on the floor. And then the other, if you want to get really morbid, he could die from high cholesterol at age like 42 because he's eaten at Applebee's for pretty much every meal of his. They got healthy options. They got healthy options there. Yeah, like what? Salads? Who's going to Applebee's to get a salad? They have that, oh. that yeah, that health section that like everyone skips over. Bro, they you know, where they, where they have the calories on the, on the, uh, on the menu. No, I'll just something. go, I'll just go get a head of lettuce and like a box of raisins <laughs> or something like that. That's that's the way to go. Um, Diners, uh, drive-ins, and dies, baby. So, yeah, <laughs> Applebee's. Um, what do you? Last question here. What do you got on the Mets? Are they gonna freaking make some moves? Are they gonna be really They're good? Doing I, a lot. They're I'm doing rooting a lot for them. Right I, I really am rooting for them. I think Steve's the man. I mean, he seems, you know, no pun intended, but he seems bought in. Um, he is like seems very willing to spend all of his money and, and try and make a, 
a winning team. I think he said that he expects them to win the World Series in like a few years. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no reason that they couldn't do it um, before that um, with, you know, how much they already have with um, Syndergaard coming back after surgery for um, next year should be healthy and um, th and then signing a bunch of players. Like if they're going to sign Springer, I don't know if they're still thinking about signing Real Mudo. Um, and they've already signed uh, a couple of players. So like, it seems like they're, you know, they're trying to get as many players as possible and, and have no excuses for, um, for not winning in this huge city. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I think it's safe to say they're going to get at least, they're going to get at least one of those big names. I would say there's a good shot that they get two of those big names. Well, I think that it's going to change the entire culture, like it, at least for the time being, like there's obviously that like, you know, it's the Mets. So the fans are going to be very uh, skeptical about everything there. It's very like, obviously the Mets are going to Mets like that's a, that's a thing. So the, I think that if like that culture changes to where it's like, oh, we can go to New York City and be on top of the world, um, like that's a place where if you succeed, like you feel like, you know, everything is at your fingertips. Obviously right. it can be really brutal if you don't do well, but uh, you know, for mega stars, like who wouldn't want to go and um, be wined and dined in, you know, one of the best cities on the planet. I agree. And not to switch sports here, but that has been my confusion with any, anybody talking about Trevor Lawrence, not coming out because the jets are terrible. It's like, well, the number two pick are the Jags. Like, that's ja like no offense to Jacksonville, but you're when you're number one pick, you're going to a bad team, and it's it's you know the New York Giants and the New York Jets. It's still New York. That's why I'm I'm like I don't understand what people are talking about. They're gonna turn this thing around eventually. It's New York. Why would you say no to New York? I don't. Get yeah, it. there's just like that stigma of the team. I think where it kind of separates itself from being part of this like amazing city mm -hmm. and, and being able to be a star in that city, like, like Joe Namath did it. And, and, you know, was like, obviously like he was Hollywood Namath or, or whatever um, his nickname was. And, and like, that was the persona that he had. And it's like, just because the team has been obviously like the Jets and Giants have been pretty awful um, for a long time. But like you said, like it is still, it's still New York and you're still going to go have a great time. Why not be the one that is able to, you know, to be the star that, that brings the organization back. Exactly. Well, the key to it all is, is once again, is sweet potato ties. Once that happens, I think sweet the potato dominoes, ties. Yeah. yeah they, they, the dominoes just George Springer, Trevor Bauer, sweet potato ties. That's 2021 I mean, that's, in a nutshell. That's the trifecta right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you got anything else? Um, we've yeah, taken already a lot of his time and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. You're, you have the open invitation to come on anytime you want. So that was, um, that was great. Yeah, I would love to just come on and, and reminisce only about um, college days um, next time. I haven't thought like thought about college almost at all since, I don't know, for a really long time. Usually whenever I do podcasts, it's, you know, it's always about um, the minors or uh or a world Damn. baseball classic, like great stuff. I mean, I, good job, I, Orlando. Great so game. we were no, generic. Have, great game plan. Fuck. <laughs> I have. I love talking about all of it, but I just was like, I haven't 
like really talk to well because like as a davis guy i mean most people don't care about davis that much they're just like oh yeah there's cows there that's pretty much it mm-hmm. but like I, I don't know i have just such fond memories of uh of davis and of um the 2008 team and stuff like that uh it's just, just fun to think about again <laughs> but no yeah. i didn't mean to to complain everything was amazing oh, no. you guys were you guys were great i uh, got all the plugs in talked about everything yeah um, no no, we we'll just like to bust each other's balls. But no, yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely get the college in because that's where it ended for me. So like, I, that's a conversation I can actually hop in. So I'm with it. I'm completely with it. Absolutely. I yeah. I I, I miss the the college stuff. Uh, just all like, there's just something about college baseball that is so exciting. Mm-hmm. I think they're playing you know a third of the games that um, you play, and once you get to pro ball, also makes everything feel a lot more important and um you know everyone spends every waking moment together so there's definitely something like more special i think about college baseball than once you get to pro ball and everything becomes about just you know just trying to survive basically right yeah davis i don't know what type of reputation davis has also to the haters out there top 10 public university you're talking to a grad couple graduates um so I think I don't know what their reputation is, but I've never met someone that went to Davis and didn't like it there. Like the, everyone loves UC Davis. Like they always have a great time. It's a small town, but it is a college town, and it, it's a shit ton of fun. To be quite yeah, and I, I mean, it's, I don't think a lot of people understand, at least like when they're in high school, what a college town really means. I know I didn't. I, I went to LMU first because I wanted to go to LA and be on the beach. And, um, and then getting to go to Davis, I was like, oh, like, this is a lot more fun. Uh, obviously, LME is beautiful, but uh, there, yeah, there's something about just being in town where you can walk everywhere at, you know, at any time and just kind of have everything right in, in one area, pretty much. And um, yeah, it's just like, so inviting, I think, and everything makes you feel excited about being there because everyone is on the same page of of why they're there yeah Yeah, riding a bike i haven't rode a bike though since college like i was fucking i'm over it like i don't know if i'll ever ride a bike again to be honest um yeah and i think that i i also miss the awkward like bike crashes um going on like roundabouts uh when you you know when people are taking uh they're cutting angles um too quickly and and uh the the speed wobble and there's just like so there's so much um you know bike like interaction that uh that i don't think you get in a lot of other places that you could just like people would set up chairs in the middle of roundabouts just to see um who was going to crash basically yeah last last quick story about that i actually was involved in one of those accidents it was finals week my freshman year and I'm biking. I was actually, it was a rare time that I studied and I was biking in, in, you know, I was in my proper lane and the fullback, one of the fullbacks on the football team is riding his longboard. He's essentially in the same lane as me. So we're honestly about to play a little chicken with each other and he just doesn't move. So he, my, I go straight into his shoulder fly off my this is a, I was my freshman year I was 170 pounds 
So, and this guy is just a solid 230. So I go flying off my bike into the bushes and I'm going to like meet a study group here. And so like I walk into the study group, my nose is like bleeding, fucking my eyes all swollen. Like this, this fullback essentially just trucked me just right off my bike. You don't get that at, at a whole lot of college towns. No, unfortunately, you know, like there's nothing more exciting than a good bike crash. Um, as long as no one gets hurt, but usually no one's going fast enough to get hurt. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, those were the days I, my, my most embarrassing one was, um, trying to bike, uh, to class one day and they were re, uh, repaving the sidewalk. And I didn't really, I, there was like cones up all the time. Like, don't go to like in certain directions on the sidewalks. And so I just disregarded it. And um, this was like the one day where I actually couldn't go on that side of the sidewalk. Um, and because it was, it was uh, wet cement, basically. Um, it was wet sidewalk pavement. And I just went, I rode straight into it and my bike, my front tire just like sank. And then my, both of my feet went like ankle deep into the, <laughs> the wet cement. And I was like, I could, I couldn't get up the people that were working on it, who were unbelievably pissed at me for doing it, had to help me out of it. And I just had to continue to go to class with cement all over my, my pants and stuff. It was, I don't know, it was pretty tough, but I, yeah, you I just ruined the whole city project right there. Yeah. I mean, I, I really deserved it for going the wrong direction straight into, um, straight into the work zone. Oh my God. That is actually a fantastic story. Um, well, Ty Kelly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, like I said, you're welcome on any time. We'll go, we'll go more into the call. We'll go into Alan's uh, bike crashes at Temple. Oh, I'm I got sure some has, great stories. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he has a ton of those. Um, but you're welcome on any time. We really appreciate you coming on. I love it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ty. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.